Welcome to the Started Brewery podcast, where we discuss all things relating to startups, opened, and growing breweries from concept to execution. We are pleased to partner with All About Beer to bring you this podcast. You're joining us today for episode 14, Contract Brewing and Alternating Proprietorship. I'm Laura Lodge, here with Candice Moon, and we're excited to welcome you to our ongoing podcast journey. As your hosts and founders of Started Brewery, we both have extensive experience in our areas of specialty. Candice is the craft beer attorney, having worked with more than 500 brewery clients over time. And my background is a mix of distribution, event planning, and craft beer education. You can find more education about us and our contributors, plus a whole bunch of info and resources at startabrewery.com. This will be episode 14, still speaking from the place of building your business plan, this time with regard to the options of contract brewing and alternating proprietorships. I think this conversation is one that really needs to happen for a number of reasons. First, both contract brewing and alternating proprietorships are legitimate business approaches and they need to be understood and promoted as such. They are smart and resourceful options. Second, contract brewing and alternating proprietorships are long-standing paths for entrepreneurs who are bootstrapping a small business and offer a very real opportunity for diversifying the beer industry. Startup capital can be an enormous barrier to opening a brewery, and these options reduce the necessary capital substantially, making the opportunity to create and live your dream much more accessible. Third, in the era of tightening belts, they are a consideration many do not recognize as an alternative for increasing production as a small brewery or making up production as a large brewery. Episode 14 is continuing our conversation with regard to the key decision-making needed to flesh out a compelling business plan. And this follows episode 009, Kitchens plus the consideration of taproom versus brew pub versus production brewery. Episode 10, Design and Build Strategies. Episode 11, What Are You Brewing? And most recently, episodes 12 and 13, Equipment and Infrastructure. Each of these decisions has an impact on the others and completes can, and creates a completely different business in combination. I'm looking forward to hearing about our guests' experiences and recommendations, and I know I'll learn a ton in the process myself. So today we have with us Phil Markowski, brewmaster for Two Roads Brewing Company, Elisa Bowens Mercado, Mercado, owner and brewmaster of Rhythm Brewing Company, and Matthew Osterman, president and founder of Sleeping Giant Brewing Company. Welcome, everyone. Um, I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves and get a little, little more background information. Uh, I'll start with Elisa since she's at the top of my screen. Okay, uh, Candice, Laura, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here and join in this conversation uh, with Matthew and Phil. But my name is Elisa Bowens Mercado. I'm the owner and brewmaster at Rhythm Brewing Company located here in New Haven, Connecticut. We launched the company about five years ago. And it really, I will tell you, it, it started, the, the, the vision uh, was back in Cape Cod, but the um, part of me wanting to be, uh, to get into the beer industry really goes back to the 1970s. Uh, both of my grandmothers were lager drinkers. Uh, they drank those little ponies of Miller High Life. And I don't know if you remember the little ponies, but that's what my grandmothers, uh, that was their beer of choice. So when I became of age, uh, I just joined a family full of females who uh, enjoyed the taste of lagers. So, you know, when I grew up, I said, if I'm going to drink something, it's going to be beer. And um, hence, that's why I started going to beer festivals um, in, you know, probably back like seven, eight, nine years ago. And the, the, and the journey really actually started uh, at a beer fest in Cape Cod and I was running around and, you know, I didn't see a lot of, uh, two things struck me, didn't see a lot of women there. And if they were, they might not have been there for the beer. Uh, they were, I think, you know, with someone, uh, a guest of someone, but no one was really like, really, you know, indulging into the life of uh, craft beer. Uh, so that's one thing that I noticed. And then I noticed that there were not a lot of lagers, you know, nothing that reminded my palate of my grandmother's. And uh, so on the on the ride home, uh, I'm with, you know, some folks and they said, Alisa, why are you quiet? Because I'm never quiet. And I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to make my own beer. And at that point, uh, I said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to dive into uh, finding out all I can find out about craft beer, find out why there's not a lot of lagers. Now, this is back in like 20, 
15. Um, you know, so I just really did the research. And then when I found out the economics of it, um, you know, that it's $114 billion, the whole beer, you know, brand uh, as a whole, but, you know, women, and then especially women of color, like myself, we're not, we're getting point, less than 0.005% of uh, that, that, that income. I said, you know what? I said, I want to really make a log or something that I can drink. And I want to make sure that I hopefully make an impact in the industry. So that's really where rhythm, you know, where did it come from? Where was inspiration? Because I wasn't brewing in my basement. I wasn't brewing in my kitchen. I was salsa dancing. Um, you know, as a professional salsa dancer for 23 years, I was on a dance floor, so I didn't have time to really brew, but, um, I knew my grandmothers enjoyed, you know, lagers. And so wanted to, uh, make them, them proud by, you know, uh, going into craft beer. And I always say, you know what, uh, was I going to build a brand or was I going to build a brewery? And it was really, honestly, it was a no brainer. I was going to build a brand because, you know, the financial request at the time to dive into a brewery, uh, that was not going to happen. So that's why I'm really excited to, to, to have this conversation today about my contract brewing uh, experience. And uh, then, you know, brewing with some of the best uh, people in the world, like Phil Markowski. So it's an honor to be on, you know, the same podcast with him. But that's really, you know, rhythm. Uh, we always say the rhythm is going to get you. So excited to be here. Um, so can't wait to, to share a little bit more of the story. Excellent. Well, let's move on to Phil. It was a perfect segue. Okay. Well, thanks, uh, Lisa, for the, for the props. Um, yeah. I, I have been a professional brewer since 1989. Uh, so I go, go pretty far back in the industry. Uh, early part of my career, first, uh, I was at a place called New England Brewing Company in Connecticut. Uh, then I went to Southampton Public House in Eastern Long Island, where uh, I became acquaint acquainted with the concept of contract brewing, um, you know, as a contract brewer, uh, looking to, you know, expand our production, limited production and, you know, get into packaging. So uh, that experience informed what we did with Two Roads Brewing down the road. Um, so we we formed Two Roads Brewing Company in 2012. And it it uh, was a purpose-built craft brewery. So we we had a motto, which was we want to build it once, build it big and big it build it once. So we set out, uh, you know, to build a. We, we renovated a 110 year old factory building. And it's about 100,000 square feet all told, and you know, currently we have a theoretical production capacity of just shy of 200,000 barrels, and. You know, we, we set out to, at the same time, launch our own brand, but with a facility that large and, you know, considerable overheads, there was no way to, you know, make it a viable business unless we had contract production. So we spent uh, the months that we were building out the facility and, and even months prior, um, you know, basically rounding up contract brewers to, to come to our facility. And uh, as far as I'm aware, I think it may be the first the first uh, purpose built contract brewery. Uh, you know, historically, people got into it, not necessarily as part of their business plan, but, you know, frankly, as a means of survival. You know, they started contract brewing because their own facilities were under capacity. Their brands had, you know, faltered over the years. And that was a means of survival. So I think a different approach and perhaps a different attitude to that production existed with with these uh you know it's called first generation facilities and um you know we wanted to to cater to the craft brewer uh, the one thing that was was commonplace with these larger you know regional breweries that were contract brewing is, is oftentimes their batch sizes were uh many times larger than you know a, a typical craft brewer uh, was looking for at that time. So that was a bit of a disadvantage and something that we at Two Roads wanted to turn into an advantage for us. And not only, you know, were our batch sizes more uh, sized for the typical craft client, but, um, you know, it's a state-of-the-art facility. We, we had all modern uh, tanks, computerized, automated brew house, you know, all of the, all of the requirements of producing, you know, high-quality beer. 
um, you know, again, specifically for the contract brewer. So that that's been our approach. Our our volume is uh, a little over fifty percent contract and a little under fifty percent our own brands, and that has wavered a bit over the years. Um, but primarily, you know, it's been mostly contract production that we do. So it's it's certainly a concept that that I personally know both sides of. And then more recently, of course, on the provider side of that equation. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a business. It's, we're proud of the fact that we have, uh, you know, very well-equipped quality control team and a lab and, and all of that, all of our clients, of course, have full access to those services. And, you know, we take a lot of pride in that. And obviously we, we are proud of our own brands as well. And contract brewing is always going to be a part of Two Roads business. That that much has been determined since day one. Excellent. Uh, okay, and I think that leads well to into Matthew. Yeah, thanks. Echo everyone's comments. Uh, appreciate you having me here today. Uh, I am Matthew Osterman. I'm the president and founder of Sleeping Giant Brewing. My backstory goes uh, uh, back to college, um, where I actually took a, a class on beer brewing. We had a, a kind of a funny college calendar, and we had this thing called J-Term, where we took one class and did these workshops otherwise, and we took one on beer brewing, my, my roommate and I, and uh, we liked it so much that we actually taught the course the next year, and the school gave us entirely way too much money to buy buy supplies for the course. So once we were done teaching the course, we said, hey, what are we supposed to do with all this homebrew equipment? And the school said, well, we don't want it. Just just keep it. So, you know, what else did we have to do other than put it to use? Um, and so we started brewing out of our, our dorm room. And, uh, you know, of course, being naive at the time, just selling beer out of our dorm room, which, you know, hindsight was certainly illegal, but um, that, that was the origin of my beer experience. We, we called it 802 Brew. Uh, we went to Middlebury College in Vermont where the, the zip um, the area code was 802. So that was fun. We had a good time. Um, despite my, my roommate and brewing partner uh, throwing stuff like mustard into the beers all the time and trying his best to, to come up with interesting concepts. We managed to to sell a little beer and have some fun and figured out that it was for me something that I was passionate about and wanted to pursue. Um, so fast forward to a few years later when I decided that a brewery and not law school was the way I wanted my my life to go. Um, sorry, Candace, but you know, there's room room for all of us. Um I got involved with a startup beer brand that we started out of the basement of a house in Boulder, Colorado. It was really the first uh, gluten-free craft beer brand. And we made all of our beer by contract brewing. So um, we were on the flip side of the equation of what Sleeping Giant does now. And we did this at traditional packaging breweries with their own brand. Um and we found over time trying a few different places that we arrived at the conclusion that there was a an inherent conflict of interest that came with contract brewing at a place with its own brand. Um, you know, I'll say this is obviously my opinion, and there are exceptions to every rule. And of course, um, two roads, as as everyone does, I hold them in very high esteem. And as Phil just talked about. You know, they were purpose built to do both from day one. Um, this is not the case for the vast majority of places that contract brew. And that was the experience that we had. So eventually, once we said, hey, we need a dedicated contract brewery, we started a national search for that and found the same four problems at every place. Uh, first one was what Phil talked about, too large with respect to batch size. The next was geography. They were all East Coast and Midwest based. Uh, customer service was the third issue that there basically was zero customer service. And fourth was rampant quality issues. Um, and so once I wrote those four things down a dozen times, that was the light bulb moment and the genesis for, for Sleeping Giant. 
and I, I think we're, unless you want me to jump in now, I think, uh, I think I'm, we're, we're talking about what Sleeping Giant is later. <laughs> no, that was perfect. All right. Um, yeah. I was a little late to the unmute button. <laughs> so I apologize. Okay. So, um, Elisa, yes. when did, so in your um, kind of startup phase, when did contract brewing show up on your radar as an option for brewing your beer? Right. So contract brewing um, showed up on the radar because when I went to go get a pilot made for, cause I, you know, when I get back from Cape Cod, I dive into the, you know, research and I'm just like, okay, so building a brewery, that was not an option. So who in the heck is going to make this beer? And that's number one. And number two, like, you know, is somebody even going to allow me to come into their facility? They're like, who's this chick walking in? You know, she wants her beer brewed. But, you know, so I didn't even know that that was an option. So I really, uh, before I made one drop of liquid, uh, I researched this for three years. And I found out this is how this works. You get a pot, you go to the best of the best here in, in New England and in, in Connecticut, and you find a, a brewmaster that can, you know, come up. I was coming up with recipes because I knew that I, I'm in the middle of New England and I love my counterparts that make their IPAs, but I just knew that there was a need and a want in the in craft beer, especially in the middle of New England that wanted loggers. And I said, we are going to get ahead of the curb. And that's exactly what we did. And so finding out like, all right, let's find someone that's going to make this lager. So I knew the ingredients, the yeast that we, I knew the hops that we were going to use. And I basically brought my vision of what I wanted my lager to taste like to someone that was, um, you know, here and shout out to Johnny, uh, from Armada here in, in New Haven, who really was a mentor. And it took me right up under his wing and schooled me on a lot of stuff. And so he, you know, we he made the first, uh, well, actually the second pilot. And um, it was it was great because I was able to learn. Now I'm learning like the beer side of it, like actually like, you know, not being a brew or a you know, home brewer, I'm learning from Johnny how to brew beer. I'm learning technology. I'm learning, you know, the, again, ingredients, you know, how this all comes in to place. But then I would have these conversations with him, like, well, now who in the heck is going to brew this beer? Like if I'm going to, if we're going to launch a brand and I need 15 barrels to start out with. And that's certainly not going in someone's basement. So what do we do? And so I started looking into the option of, and that's when I found out the word contract brewing was a real thing. And uh, so it kind of like segued. I think it was just like my experience throughout the, you know, my, and back in 2017, it was a, it was a wonderful learning process. I learned so much along the way. And, um, I'm really happy that I went that route because again, and I'm sure we'll dive into this, you know, the money out there to finance a brewery, you know, I couldn't take my salsa money and try to like build a brick and mortar. Um, you know, that just, that wasn't going to happen. So I had to figure out I'm in the beer industry. What happens for people like myself that just want to build a brand and not build a, and, and not build a brewery. Not yet. Cause we, we absolutely need a brick and mortar now five years in, um, but that's not what, you know, it, the journey was always, that was our blueprint, the contract brewing option. So that's how I was able to find out about, all right, how do the con how does this contract brewing, you know, work, you know, we were, you know, entertaining some other things like the alternative proprietorships. I know we'll go into that, but we knew that we didn't want to come in and rent any space. We wanted to just come in with my vision, my passion, and my love for craft beer, brew with some of the best of the best of the best here in Connecticut. And that's exactly what, what we ended up uh, doing. And it has absolutely, absolutely worked for us. So we're really excited. Awesome. About the opportunities. So kind of building off that, Phil, um, do you guys have certain guidelines for contract brewing in terms of batch size, range of ingredient styles, uh, pasteurization, packaging, any other relevant criteria? I mean, we, we have our limits, but we built the facility to be as 
flexible as possible and versatile as possible. So we have lots of packaging options. Um, you know, we can do bottles. Uh, not too many people are interested. That's what we started off with. But, you know, we shortly thereafter ordered or installed a can line. And, you know, we do all manner of uh, 12, 16 ounce cans. We can do high cone. We can do uh, pack techs. And increasingly, we're doing, you know, um, cardboard wrap packages, you know, 16 ounce four packs, 12 ounce six packs, 12 ounce 12 packs, all of that. So we built the facility to be as as versatile as possible. Um, we have had some some clients that have used some pretty unconventional ingredients. So we remain open to that. Uh, we're flexible and using multiple yeast strains. Um, you know, having been on the other side, I, I, you know, there were lots of constraints with, you know, older uh, established facilities. And, you know, I, I, we, we felt we didn't want to impose those on, on our clients. So we've, we built in a lot of flexibility. You know, that said, we're, we're not uh, limitless in, in um, what we can do when a client wanted us to dry hop the beer with, uh, uh, you know, 150 dozen donuts. We said no. So there, we have there are times we have our limits, as I said. Uh, but again, we we've used probably uh 20 to 30 different yeast strains over the course of a year. A lot of those are for our own own brands. And um, but again, we 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 built flexibility and versatility into the facility to the best of our ability. Gotcha, Laura. Phil, do you contract in Area 2 also? Uh, we have, yes. Uh, area 2, just uh, for those who are not familiar with Two Roads, and I expect that's a lot of people. Uh, we built a facility called Area 2, which is dedicated to experimental brewing. Um, you know, most of what we do there is traditionally has been barrel-aged, barrel uh, both barrel-soured barrel and then, you know, beers aged in uh, spirit barrels, wine barrels, etc. Um, it's a facility that does not have its own brew house currently, uh, except for our, our seven barrel pilot system. So we have a pipeline between the two facilities. So we'll brew our batch, our, our brew length is 100 barrels at two roads. So we'll send that uh, volume over the pipeline and ferment it at area two. And then we have the ability to send it back to two roads over the pipeline for packaging. So, so we have capabilities for sure. And sometimes area two is, um, you know, this time of year when two roads is at full capacity, uh, we'll send some products next door to, to area two to ferment over there. So we use it as it's a versatile facility. Um, but we have done contract production, barrel aged beers for other people. Um, but these sorts of things are a little less in demand than they were just a, you know, a few short years ago, as I think we all know, it's, um, you know, continues to be very much an IPA centric business. And that's mostly of what we do. And that's no exception in, in the industry. So we, we, you know, roll with the changes and, um, again, flexibility has always been a mantra of ours and, and adaptability. And we try to remain nimble despite our, you know, relative large size for a craft brewer. Can I jump in quickly? Cause I, it, two, well, two things. Um, it's the two roads is a must visit if you're in, you know, Connecticut, it's uh, just fantastic. I love area two. I was eight. Phil was able to give me a, um, of a tour um, when I was there brewing um, our, our collab. But, and I don't even know if Phil knows this, but Mike, our goal is to one day be able to walk into Two Roads because I think their minimum is like, I don't know, 200 barrels or something. So I don't even know what the minimum is, but my personal goal in my beer brain is to one day be able to be up in that area of barrelage that I can go to Phil and say, I'm ready for you guys to contract brew my beer. So Phil, that has been my 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 little, uh, in my own brain, what I've been uh, saying to myself, because I, I heard it one day, he was like, oh, they're like, don't even bother going to two roads. They're like, 
they, you've got to be doing like 200 barrels, like every 30 days or something. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I just launched. But so when someone told me that I've had, um, I'm working towards that goal. <laughs> okay. I've never, never shared that, but yeah, there you go. There you have it. Hopefully I'll see you soon. <laughs> and I think was, were you um, alluding to that, uh, Laura or Candace has a question as to what, what, um, policies we have I, th I think you did ask something along those lines mm -hmm. I, well I think I think you've answered that in general I don't know I, I think it, we, we'll get a little further in talking about vetting future potential clients um, okay. but you've been pretty clear about your flexibility so that's that's where we wanted to go for now okay so uh, Matt I'll, I'll throw the same question to you in terms of what sleeping giant uh, offers and I'm assuming it's a similar answer. In terms of capabilities or client requirements? Either one or both. Sure. Yeah. Capabilities uh, sound pretty similar to, to Phil. Um, our brew, brew length is is half um, of that. We're, we're 50 barrels. Um, our fermenters are 50s, 100s, 150s, and 200s. The vast majority of our tanks are, are 200 barrel tanks. Um, so we, we typically find ourselves brewing in, you know, 200 barrel PO increments, but we can do 50s, 100s and 150s as well. Uh, very similar answer to Phil on the packaging side of the equation. Obviously we do a lot of draft. The majority is cans. Um, the majority for us is actually already cartons. Uh, pack tech is a very small amount of our, our production. We do some loose pack as well for, you know, cans that tend to find themselves in, in, uh, in on-premise situations. Uh, but the majority is for sure cans into cartons, six pack, 12 pack being the, the primary drivers there. Um, and also like Phil, we have a bottle line that is never used anymore. So, um, Phil, you got a bottle line with your name on it. If you want another one. Everybody wants, I don't know. Everybody wants a cold lager and a bottle. I don't know. Matt I'll, and Phil, I'll take your bottle lines. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, capabilities are, again, pr pretty similar. Uh, we offer a pretty wide array of filtration options that are all to client spec, of course. Um, different brew techniques are for sure something we can do. Really, the only thing we don't do, we, we do not have an area two type of situation, and therefore we do not do anything with, with wild yeasts um, or bacteria. We don't do anything with, with lacto or bread or anything along those lines. We have done barrel aging before, um, but but nothing with uh, microbes that we're trying to keep out of the brewery as is. Uh, the quality component is is really key for us. We have a pretty advanced lab. Um, we have GCMS, uh, RT QPCR. We've you know got Anton Parsuite, pretty much all the bells and whistles that you would expect at at a at a larger brewery, um, and that is really a cornerstone of of who we are and what we're all about. Um, on the client side, as I said, besides for the things that we don't do with the microbes, we tend to work principally with brands that uh, are already in existence as opposed to startup brands. We do a little work with startup, but that's been less and less over the years. Um, beyond that, you know, it's more of a, the fit for us is about the type of type of business relationship that we're that we're seeking and i'm not talking about ap versus contract just more about who someone is what they're trying to do if we're going to work well together um and you know i think at the end of the day that's a big piece of this right is the relationship and the fit it's yeah. can brew a beer at a lot of different breweries but fit is about so much more than you know the style of beer and the system that a place has what else would you say is part of fit? What should people be looking for, thinking about? I think the relationship is probably the most important thing. If I'm going to point to something that is a bit more ethereal rather than 
you know, saying, oh, make sure that they can do X, Y, and Z. It's a, it's a partner really at the end of the day, uh, whether we want to call it that or not. And some places take different approaches to the partnership piece, but I think having a level of trust, having a level of transparency and, you know, overall just feeling like this person is going to, from the client side that the contract brewer is going to help take your, your brand or your brewery to the next level and, and to where you want it to be. Um, again, I just think for me, that's, that's more of a, a primary and almost easier answer than pointing to, you know, the technical pieces of, as I said before, making sure that your contract partner can do these few different things. I think it's about the the relationship and, and trust, you know, that they're going to follow through on what they say, that the quality piece is going to be there, that the scheduling piece is going to be there. Um, and again, I think for me, having been on the, the flip side of that equation with being, you know, in a contract brewer's shoes, right? We've talked about in the past before. Uh, I've even talked with, with Candace and Laura before about how people weren't very careful when we started this whole thing and we call it contract brewers on both sides of the equation. So people are perpetually confused about which side of the relationship we're talking about, but I'm saying for the, the tenant, if you will, to be able to trust that the host is going to do right by them. Um, especially if it's not a dedicated or purpose-built facility, such as, you know, two roads and sleeping giant. I just, I, I think that is the most key thing that, that exists. And you can be more right, Matthew. That is, that is the key. That is, the key. It's like, it's like no different than being in a, you know, in a relationship, uh, you know, friendships or, you know, marriages or what have you, you've got to, you know, you've got to make sure that you're clicking. Um, and it has to be a win-win for both, uh, for both partners. So, um, yeah, we, we've, we've seen that, you know, some things were just not a fit. It was, but you know, no, it's just, all right, we shake hands and we go, all right, just, we've got to go to some place where we know that that is going uh, to be a fit. And um, hey, it may take a couple of times to get it right, but you know, when you get it right, it's uh, you're making good business decisions. Uh, you're make you're you're connecting with the people. They've got the same energy and the passion that you have, and then you're making some damn good beer. So that is um, just wanted to piggyback off of what you said. That's really true about the connection and the chemistry. You've got to have that. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. Laura? Uh, Matt, do you find that you are seeing more uh, brewers that are coming to you with uh, a single beer or a couple of beers that they just they just don't have the capacity to produce enough and they're brewing the rest of their beers themselves? Or are you seeing more of a, a full brand portfolio that you're brewing the whole thing? Yeah, more, more the former than the latter. The, the only... Uh, caveat I'd make to that is for us, that's not a recent trend. I'd say that's been typical for us throughout you know, our whole existence since 2015, that typically when a client is going to come and they are their own brewery with their own brands. And I, you know, I would say as a quick, we have a few different archetypes of, of clients, but in the one that you're speaking of in archetype A, if you will, where it's an existing brewery with their own production and they're coming to us uh, perhaps for capacity reasons or for, um, you know, quality or equipment reasons, then yes, it's, it's what you said. The, the most successful path in, in my opinion, from what we've seen is someone coming and bringing their flagship or flagships and doing one or two, as opposed to keeping the flagship and sending us, five or six other ones, right? The fewer brands, the better is, um, that it's, it's definitely our preferred formula. And it's the formula that I think, uh, unequivocally we've seen the, the best results for clients from, you know, if we can do, doesn't matter if the volume is the same, right? If it's 10,000 barrels of one brand versus 10,000 barrels of five different brands at 2000 barrels each, it's just going to be easier for the tenant brewery to manage the relationship when it's one brand. 
Okay, Alisa, I want to jump back to something uh, you had mentioned about um, a good fit. So from the, and we'll say the, the tenant brewer, like I, I say the contract brewee. <laughs> um, what criteria are important to you when you were looking for the best fit with the host contract brewer? Um, that I could, that my ideas and my passion and my thought process was respected. Um, you know, cause again, I'm, you know, coming in, I'm making lagers on a lot of, you know, I'm, and I'm brewing with, you know, brewers that are typically just, they're brewing IPAs every day, all day, which was fine, but it was like, okay, don't push me into adding more hops. I, that's not what we, you know, that's not what I want. So it really was a conversation of, are we on the same page? And there were just, you know, some folks who were like, oh, you know, we want the gloss, you know, can, you know, we want the gloss labeling. Oh, no, we don't. See, nobody really gets that. Well, no, I, I that's what I want. And so it, it had I had to be very clear on these are this is our brand. We're, we're particular about what we want to do with the brand, what we want the brand to look like. And we're doing things for a reason. We're doing a lot of things that a lot of other people were not, you know, doing. So it's like, let us stay to what we have developed. And we just wanted people to, you know, to res respect that. And um, it's, it's, that's because we were the first of the first. So being the first female owned woman of color in the state of Connecticut and fourth in the country, we had a lot of press. We have like press everywhere. Like people wanted to know, like, where are you, when are you canning? What are you like the flagship, the first can that came rolled off a conveyor belt. We, then that's when we made history in Connecticut. So the press was there. Like people want the story. They wanted the story. They still want the story. So people have to understand that I, you know, and I, I'm very respectful. I'm like, Hey, I've got to come in and, you know, I might have channeled this with me or I might have, the Associated Press or the New York Times, like, I don't know who's going to, I don't know, but they have to understand something that people want to share the story and, and hope to inspire other people. So anyway, with that said, there's a lot of what our brand was doing, but people have to be okay with it. And um, it's worked some places. It didn't work out. Um, and some places it absolutely has. And we're, we're with East Rock now and they're, they're typically a lot, they are a logger house. And so it was a perfect match. So we found our perfect match, you know, took us a couple of, you know, times, but, um, you know, now we're, we're set up shop now, but it, yeah, it's, you've got to be, you've, everybody's got to be on the same page. Got it. So I, I'm, I'm going to go a little off script because now I'm curious because from, from talking to Lisa and so this is directed at both Matt and Phil. So it sounds like, so your, your minimum, at least Phil is 200 barrels and Matt, you're even, you can go as low as 50, but um, so I'm guessing for a true startup, you guys probably aren't necessarily the, the, the first option. And because I don't think, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of these startups aren't going to be starting at that, that level of production. Um, true. Uh, I'll, I'll start first, Matt, if you don't mind. Of course. Uh, it, it's, uh, first of all, I, I just want to clarify something. Elisa came up with the 200 barrel minimum. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't actually, know if that's the correct. Uh, our minimum is, is a move. It's a movable feast. It's not something that, uh, it all depends on what's going on at a given time and what the product is. Uh, I will say that recently we have gotten into, you know, blending um, canned cocktails for ourselves and others. And these do not tie up fermentation capacities. So, um, you know, they can be mixed, you know, blended and packaged in a, in a single day, you know, theoretically. So, so those types of products would be more willing to take in, but for beer, we have a kind of loose minimum of 100 barrels per month. And that has been applied more toward um, brands that we, that have been with us for a long time where, you know, there's, we're doing less and less every year. Uh, they're grandfathered and, you know, we have a good relationship. Um, 
you know, outside the business. So, so it's, it does vary, but uh, the, the, probably the biggest risk is taking up uh, is the startup. Um, you know, we have had a policy that we will not take up startup brands, but of course we violated our own pro uh, policy uh, a couple of times over the years and it, it didn't really work out. You know, it's, it's, it's a risky proposition, you know, when somebody's, um, launching a brand and you know in most cases they're they're doing so on a shoestring so it's you know it's it's um unless they're selling the beer and cash is coming in we're not going to get paid simple as that so so it's a it's a big risk that we um we knew it was a bad idea yet we did it anyway a couple of times and it didn't work out well so as matt said you know ideally you have you're doing a lot of the same brand, a lot of volume of the same brand for obvious reasons. That's, that's more appealing than, you know, doing that same volume over eight or 10 brands, just the, all the logistics involved, storing packaging materials, planning the brews, all of that is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, of course, uh, proportional to how many different brands you do. So larger amounts of fewer, brands is is the ideal uh it seldom works out that way in reality especially in today's market where the consumer is constantly looking for what's new what's new you know it's just yeah. it's, it's, so then, it's just the nature of the business these days of course yeah. so the feeding off of that um and uh matthew maybe you can answer this first and then phil what would what can or should a startup do to be in the best position to use contract brewing as their way to launch their brand? What can they already have done, put in place? What, which, how should they do their due diligence to get their ducks in a row to be ready to use a contract brewer? And, and if it is to go with a, a smaller one who maybe doesn't do contract brewing day in, day out, what should they be looking for and asking about um, Matt, kind of what you were saying before when you were having to to find someone to contract brew with. Yeah, that's a good question with, <clears throat> I think, an evolving and somewhat challenging answer. Uh, you know, our perspective on the startups is extremely similar to, to what Phil shared. I think that, so I, I'm going to approach your question and thinking what over the years has made us um, violate our own rule, just as just as Phil said. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's often, um, I, I mean, it starts with the concept, right? And we don't consider ourselves to be, you know, marketing experts, right? Like unlike Two Roads, we, we don't have our own brand. It's not a core competency of ours. The Two Roads team is probably better equipped to say, oh, well, this is a brilliant marketing strategy, sales strategy, et cetera. But for us, we're going to apply that same evaluation anyways. If someone is a true startup, first of all, the concept has to be compelling. If it's going to be just another run-of-the-mill breed with no point of differentiation from anyone else out there making another IPA, uh, all due respect to, you know, everyone's beloved style. But if it's just more sameness, then our question is, how are you going to stand out? How are you going to sell? So I think uh, having a compelling concept and brand strategy and go-to-market strategy is is a part of that. Uh, the, the prospective client being able to demonstrate financial strength is another important piece, like Phil said, and I'm getting the feeling that Phil and I are living in similar worlds, so I'll keep echoing each other. But <laughs> what he said that you know, if the brand doesn't sell, then um, the contract brewer is not going to get paid. So we need to know that the new brand can weather some storms, and you know, projections are are always overzealous by nature, and so we need to acknowledge that and know that there's some cash there to pay the bills in the meantime. I think depending on who it is, one piece, thinking more about actually trying to answer your specific question, Candace, would be if a, if someone has been able to sh demonstrate the aptitude to pick up a distributor early on, I think there's pros and cons to that, right? The cons being that 
they're going to have margin erosion right away because they're working with a distributor. But it certainly shows a potential contract partner that someone else believes in the idea and that they have a path to sales. Um, and then the, the last piece that I'll say, and this is something that has actually worked a handful of times for us, has been, and you were kind of walking down this path, Candice, but to say to the client, hey, why don't you go do a batch, two batches, a thousand barrels worth, whatever the number is, at another spot, and then let's keep the conversation open and come back here when you're a little bit off the ground, right? You don't need to be on step 99, but to be on step two or three instead of step number one provides a little bit of a cushion with us. And even though I said what I did about the inherent conflict of interest that we believe is the case, I think that there's plenty of, of uh, smaller neighborhood taproom breweries who might be interested in spinning out a handful of batches for someone. And that could definitely be a win-win on a shorter term perspective. And so to start that way and then come to a two roads or sleeping giant is I think an effective strategy. Great. Phil, yeah. your thoughts? Well, uh, yeah, to, to what Matt said, you know, in a conversation you can usually tell, uh, you know, a matter of minutes, whether somebody has done, has a, uh, you know, truly viable idea and, and a proposition that has a point of difference and is not just, you know, a carbon copy of something else out there with, you know, now their name on it. Um, and, and to what I said before too, being well capitalized would, would make somebody in, in a, um, startup position seem more attractive, uh, than someone who's not. And, and, you know, and that would be, be willing to cover costs that we might incur if they were to suddenly, um, fold is, is part of the negotiation. Um, but it's, you know, in, inherently it, it's a tough sell, you know, it, it, it's, you would have to, as, as Matt said, kind of prove yourself out or, or at least get further down the road than an initial conversation before you come to someone like us or Sleeping Giant. You know, show that you, you've done your, your due diligence, your homework, uh, you have a unique proposition and you're well-funded. Uh, all of those things I, I think need to be in place uh, in an ideal world for us to take a startup client. And yeah. that's our policy that, again, we have broken ourselves in the past. So, it's, um, you know, it, it's a live and learn thing where I, I feel even stronger uh, in, in, in making that statement. Those, those are the requirements. I feel um, more confident because I'm talking from a position of actual experience. Uh, on that note. So to summarize, unique proposition, well-funded, um, knows the business, knows what they're getting into, is familiar with beer distribution and the headaches and, uh, you know, not just the idealism of selling a product, but actual experience uh, and knowing the challenges and respecting the challenges they're up ahead, uh, up against. Lots of headwinds when you're starting out a brand. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I typically suggest that because a lot of people call because they know that that has been our blueprint and our roadmap since day one was contract growing. So people will call me and I will get on a Zoom with them and they'll be like, okay, so what are the pros and cons? And what just what Phil and, and Matt said, I tell them those are the things that you need. You know, you've got to research, you know, again, before we made a drop of a pilot, I researched the industry for three years not three days, not three months. It was three years. Know what you're getting into. So that's why we had distribution set up and, you know, because we needed to know what's the distribution chains. Once they make it, where is it going? What is that? What does that look like? So that's all really, really good, um, you know, advice coming from Matt and Phil about, you know, folks that are even entertaining to make that call. This is what you need before you make that call and jumping into contracting. Laura? Alisa, what size batches did you start with? You did some pilot for some samples. Um, and then what size did you start on? And then have you stepped up? Oh, yeah. So we went from five gallons okay. to seven 
to, to 15. And then we went to uh, th- 15 for a little bit. And then um, we did a vanilla, vanilla Porter and that was on a seven barrel, but that was just a, a, my birthday release. Um, now we're, we're up to 30s in five years. And we're really excited about, again, this wasn't like a merit. This, we, were, we wanted to walk before we started sprinting. Even though I sometimes like to put on my dance, you know, I'm shimmying all over the place and I get excited, but we're, we're literally, you know, from five gallons in four and a half years to, you know, 30 barrels and distribution in New York now exclusively in Whole Foods. Like we, we, we wanted to do this right. And we knew in order to do this right, we had to really, really take our time and be very strategic. So um, right now we're doing about 30 barrels per our flagship and then our rhythm light logger, which is our second. And again, uh, I think Matt said this earlier. It's like, you know, we weren't pumping out eight, nine different beers. It's like we wanted, we, our motto and our goal was do, do two and do them really, really, really well. And we've seen that we've done the two and that's why our uh, distribution is extended and it continues because um, we're focusing really on the, the brand and, and the, you know, what we have right now. So yeah, we're, we're excited to be there. We're, like I said, again, 60 barrels, here we come. And um, I got to call Phil because I have an RTD and it's not beer, but there's something else <laughs> that I'll be calling Phil about. <laughs> so did you have your distribution before you signed up to contract brew? Yes, I actually did. Um, Frank, okay. actually it's a friend that, um, that went to elementary school with me. So I grew up with him. So he owned the, the distribution uh, company. So um, it was, it was, it was good. It was, I made some phone calls and, um, you know, went into some, you know, arrangements. So it was, it was, it, it was good. I, but I learned a lot, you know, jumping into the distribution. So. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. So we're running short on time at this point. So let's let's do a round of uh, best advice for uh, someone who is looking to start up via contract brewing, which I know that I, I feel like you guys have covered a lot of advice. But if you had to pick one thing, uh, what would it be? And let's start with Phil. Well, chemistry is important, as has been mentioned. That's that's a given. But, you know, what I would say is is find a brewery that's sized appropriately for your operation. I mean, you, it's not realistic to say, okay, I'll brew one batch of year, of beer per year. Um, and you know, that'll be a lot less painful than, you know, brewing a batch monthly. Uh, in that case that you'll, you'll obviously be doing yourself a disservice with uh, beer that's uh, got a limited shelf life. And obviously it varies uh, depending on the style and other factors, but you know you're not going to get a year's shelf life out of most beers. So you have to to pick a place that's sized um, appropriately. Geography is another consideration. You don't you want to you know you don't want to be shipping uh, beer clear across the country just to get to its um, you know its home market. So you pick somebody that's that's in your neighborhood. Uh, so to speak, uh, these are obvious things, but but you know, nonetheless, uh, I feel the need to to um, to voice it because I've encountered people who haven't done that level of research and don't you know realize what what should be obvious perhaps is not. So you know, size appropriately for your operation so that you're you're turning your beer out on a regular basis, it's staying fresh in the market, um, and then. Geographic, geographically close so that you're not, you know, paying, you know, spending undue amounts on freight before you even get your product to market. Those are the two, those are two main factors, I would say. And I'll throw out there for, uh, if if you are contract bring out of state, you're going to need even extra more licensing to bring it back to where you are. Um, so the licensing can get a little more complicated when you involve more states. So, uh, Elisa. Yeah. So I will tell you again, we are the 
probably poster child's for contract brewing. Um, and, you know, just small business, you know, a brand with a vision and a brand with a mission. And that's exactly what we, that's what we've done. So pick, yeah, pick the right, pick the right partner, enjoy the journey. Um, but I will tell you, the, the contracting opens up doors for opportunity. Um, Wednesday, I'm heading to Boston. I'm on my third collab with Sam Adams. Um, so if I was not contracting, I would not have these amazing, amazing uh, opportunities to go brew um, with the, the the Sam Adams folks. And again, then that has opened up doors to Boston Beer Company and you know extended distribution um, and brewing the American dream. So Sometimes, you know, you, you know, it's a blessing, you know, in disguise, because if I was contracting my own place, I wouldn't have the opportunity to go and visit and travel uh, to Virginia, to, you know, to, to, to brew with Oozle Finch. Um, but so it's given me collaborative opportunities. And then, of course, you know, our uh, collaboration with uh, Phil at Two Roads with the Black is Beautiful. Um, those are just priceless. Those are collaborations that are priceless, but that all um, happened because we're, we're contract brewing. So, and I always tell people, give me a buzz, you know, call me, I will give you, you know, beyond the, the podcast, you know, there's, there's bigger and deeper uh, conversations that I always um, take the time to entertain. So that's, that's my advice. Awesome. And Matt. Beyond what's uh, the great answer is already given. You know, I'm kind of back to what we talked about before. I don't want to recycle the the relationship answer, but um, I really also, okay, so I'll cheat and I'll call it fit instead of relationship. Uh, slightly different, right? So, you know, I think working at a place that is either a dedicated contract brie or that has demonstrated a core competency uh, in contract brewing at least is is a really great place to start. Uh, transparency is key when for, from the contractee side to, to use your good word, Candace, uh, it's, it's your beer, right? Or your beverage, your RTD, whatever is being made. So you have a right to know what's going on with that. Um, and I think transparency to us means something more than just kind of that obvious take about the unveiled sharing of information, but <clears throat> It has to go with just the whole relationship that things are simple, that they're straightforward, that you're not going to have some a phantom charge that you weren't expecting that wasn't discussed. I think I I, I found that a lot in my uh, contractee past. So fit, <laughs> relationship, transparency, I think that's all key. Uh, and the technical stuff, as we discussed earlier, is kind of, you know, the barrier to entry, right? Minimum barrier to entry almost goes without saying, but that piece is, it just couldn't be more important in my mind. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. This was a, a lot of information not and, and not what I expected. So. Yeah, I'll say the same. Yeah. Thank you all for making time today um, and, and for sharing your story. I think that that will help a lot of people to be able to, uh, dream a little differently and and maybe see some uh, possibilities where perhaps they were seeing roadblocks before. Uh, there's so many different ways. We did just add to to the Starterbury website a free business coaching section. And Elisa, to piggyback off your your reference to Brewing the American Dream, the mentorship that the BA program, the Brewers yeah. Association mentorship program um, is offering some pathways, the SCORE program, um, yeah. For the retired executives, the Small Business Development Center, there are some free business coaching opportunities out there. And um, Axion and Brewing the American Dream have done um, an amazing job of making a difference and offering resources. Right, so, resource. Good stuff that's out there. Um, so I'll wrap it up. A big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us now and in the future for episode 14, Contract Brewing and Alternating Proprietorships of the Start a Brewery podcast. We invite you to join us for our next episode 15. We're going to do a part two of contract brewing and alternating proprietorships. And in this case, we're going to lean more on the alternating proprietorship side since today was primarily contract brewing and still continuing forward with your business plan. So this will be released before the break of day on Tuesday, July 18th. 
While you're anticipating the release of our next episode, feel free to visit the Starter Brewery website at starterbrewery.com, a free resource for those who are looking to open or grow their breweries. Be sure to look through the task lists offered for each stage of the process, plan, act, open, and grow, at the educational resources, and at the offerings from our savvy contributors in our growing library. You can also sign up for an occasional electronic update with new Starter Brewery contributors, content, events, and more great information on the contact page of our website. We also encourage you to explore the All About Beer website at allaboutbeer.com, perhaps pop in to enjoy one of their excellent podcasts as well. In the meantime, this has been Laura Lodge and Candice Moon wishing you a terrific day and thanking you once again for joining us on our podcast journey to start a brewery.